Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome to the March edition of Signal, a media net podcast looking at the world of faith, media and journalism here in the UK and beyond. I'm James Poulter, your host, and as every month I am joined by Mr Sam Hales, Head of Millennial Engagement here at <laughs> Premier, <laughs> Premier Media Group. Uh, no, he is uh, Deputy Editor of Christianity Magazine. Hey Sam, how indeed. you doing? Hello, it's very good, good to be here. <laughs> and also joined by Ruth, the Lady Jackson. Uh, how you doing this month? I'm good. Yeah. Oh, I'm appreciating that middle name there. Yeah, I thought I'd just promote you into that kind of spot. I think you're also just. In got... people got a bit confused. Well, oh, my man. <laughs> we were going to go with King of. King like of King Premier. of Premier, yeah. but I think we'll just uh, backtrack from that one. So, uh, welcome to both of you. Um, this month, we've got a lot coming up on the show. We're going to be looking at the stories that have made the headlines over the past month and looking at how faith plays a role in those. Also, coming up, we have an interview with Justin Walford, who is one of the senior legal advisors and lawyers at the News UK, looking after publications like The Sun and The Sun on Sunday. is a very esteemed and a long-time media lawyer and also a Christian, so we'll be talking to him about kind of faith, life, and uh, what kind of the the legal world looks like in the the world of faith uh, these days and we'll also be giving you some recommendations at the end of the show about things that you can go out and listen to watch and read that we've seen in the past month that have a positive spin that are have a christian ethic or angle to them or are just plain interesting so all of that coming up so first up, let's go through some of the stories that are making the headlines and maybe just dive behind them um, and what we've seen this month. And I'm going to start off with um, with you, Ruth. Uh, you've got something about uh, what's happening in the world of religious broadcasting mm. and songs of praise. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so a lot of the weekend newspapers um, had the fact that the BBC has lost... So currently, songs of praise is made in-house within the BBC and it's um, they had to pitch for it and they lost out on their pitch to two indies um, Nine Lives Media and Avanti Media. So Songs of Praise is no longer going to get... It's going to still be on the on the BBC, but it's not going to be made within the BBC. It's going to be made by indies. So that was what everyone was talking about. And I guess lots of church leaders were saying that that's a negative thing. Is it the nail, the final nail in the coffin of religious broadcasting? And, you know, I think we need to take those comments... You know, we need to consider those comments. But I think just because the BBC isn't making something, why does that mean that it's no longer going to be good? I mean, these these indies have got an incredibly good reputation. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you've mentioned before, because uh, I think you once told me that uh, Songs of Praise was the reason that you kind of went into the BBC to basically <laughs> just become Queen of Songs of Praise. Yeah, I, I <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to be the king of. Yeah, the, I don't know why I keep using male synonyms. I wanted to be the queen of songs of praise. I wanted to International make, Women's Month this month, sure. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I wanted to make songs of praise 
really cool. I wanted to make it something that my so from the age of about fifteen, I wanted to make songs of praise for my generation, and that's that's why I started at the BBC. I got sidetracked for four years in children's television. I did eventually end up at Songs of Praise, and ironically, there were a lot more Christians um, in children's television than there there were in BBC Religion, which um, wow. which is interesting. <laughs> interesting that yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, the presenters obviously are outwardly Christian, mm. but in terms of production stuff, how much of a difference that actually makes, I'm not particularly well, convinced. I, I think it's really interesting because I think you can make incredibly good religious broadcasting without having any sort of faith. Um, I think there's obviously a certain amount of knowledge that you need. I remember speaking to an indie, an indie fairly recently. They were working on a documentary and I went in to, just to talk to them about kind of Paul's life and, and Jesus's life and how Christianity emerged. And, um, and I was sat with, you know, the exec producers, incredibly intelligent people that have made wonderful television and they literally knew nothing whatsoever wow. and I kind of thought you know I just happened to come in on this conversation what what if I wasn't here what if no one was telling you kind of where to look and who to speak to and wh- who would be experts in this field yeah well it, it was picked up recently with the Ash Wednesday <laughs> issue with the BBC politics page asking that question is it appropriate for this MP to wear the Ash Wednesday cross on their forehead and it, it seemed like the BBC whoever posted that it seemed to have no idea that this was something that Christians or Catholics do. They have the, the Ash Wednesday cross on their forehead. The way they asked the question, it was like, you do realise this is an actual thing, right? Um, and they were questioning this MP for daring to you know, go into uh, her job with this outward expression of her faith um, and saying, is this appropriate? I think, well, of course it's appropriate. Does it mean is that story written every year when that happens? Like <laughs> someone somewhere decides to wear a cross or yeah. you know, kind of decides to give up something for Lent publicly and then yes. all of a sudden it's like, oh, Christians exist and they're doing yes. it. Well, I remember remember when someone in parliament asked who is this general synod i think no, no, no they're not it's not a it's not a military general it's a it's a it's a thing in the church of england but, but yeah songs of praise is one of those really interesting like stalwart institutionalized shows on the beep mm. right i mean it's been there for goodness knows how long too long probably long enough that i should have researched it before we sat down but yeah 1961. it's 61 wow that's, that's knowledge right i there. was there in 2011 and that was the 50th we wow. did our yeah, show so yeah, it's been around for an awful long yeah. time, and it's changed a lot in that time as well. Yeah. You know, certainly in terms of like the types of songs that are presented there, yeah. but it's also gone into much more historical, factual stuff mm. around kind of Christian life. But yeah, I can't think of any other program that is on daytime, you know, kind of broadcast television in the mm. UK, particularly you know, or a mainstream UK mm. television outside of a dedicated religious channel that covers mm. the topic areas that that does, maybe with the exception of like the big questions when that was kind of running yeah. on the beep. Yeah. So, yeah, there is a question, I think, there about the, the integrity of a show like that. And if it's mm. going out to indie producers, like you say, they can totally do a good job of it. Yeah. But is it going to change the kind of you know the the almost like the religious mandate that you know the beeb still has a certain portion mm. of that that has to be dedicated. Well, the thing is, I mean, it won the pitch, and we need to. That's that's you know we've got to bear that in mind. And it won the pitch according to lots of the papers for two reasons: a that it was going to use the budget better and, and potentially make programs for cheaper, which is obviously a good thing because then you know you can make more of them or you can you can use the budget for better things. And the second thing, which I think is even more important, was that they were more innovative in their ideas and in you know in their suggestions. And I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah. Like, like you say, you know, Songs of Praise has um, has definitely developed over the years, and it's become a bit more magazine style, which I think has has done them really well, and I think has on the whole got a lot more positive feedback. But I think there's still a lot more that they can be doing in in terms of reaching. I remember talking to a producer um, at Songs of Praise. This was years ago, and he said that one of the problems he had was that he wanted to make stuff that would reach that his teenage girls, but that if he did that, it would disappoint his mum. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of always been the problem with Songs of Praise. Every now and then, they would do something that really 
really push the boat out that would do something you know around young people around really interesting issues but you then have the problem that a they're not watching it because they don't expect it to be for them and then b you're kind of alienating your really faithful audience like mm. when i was working at bbc worldwide songs of praise was one of the best sellers to places like australia yeah which is kind of strange but it, it's such <laughs> a kind of <laughs> yeah that and top gear and in the night garden as well hey we have a lot of in the night yeah. garden in my house which i i can't you know profess to Eagle pickle's faith but i'm sure he's <laughs> Um, yeah, he seems to be very dedicated to his friends and family, which is uh, yeah, espousing kind of very Christian ethics. So, uh, I mean, that's you know, this kind of ongoing debate, actually, is, and it's kind of the nub of what's getting out with this worry about songs of praise, is that it strikes to, I think, a broader chord in terms of what we're kind of seeing across the media right now. And we were just discussing this earlier this week around we seem to be very good at doing things that target, you know, kind of broadly speaking, the middle-aged and older. Mm. And we every now and again someone goes, we really should do something for these young people and we <laughs> kind of go after the kids. But for the broad majority of TV viewers and arguably magazine readers and others in the middle... There just doesn't seem to be anything. And it just it rubs me up the wrong way. I'm sure it rubs up many other people of kind of our generation of that kind of millennial Gen Z, you know, kind of like boomer generation where they've not really got an awful lot of options if you are mm. kind of a you know, kind of normal thinking Christian living yeah. in the UK and wanting to kind of get some Christian media. It's like, where is that? Do you think Songs of Praise is coming back to be that place? I wonder place? if part of that comes down to the genre. I don't know if someone kind of my age would sit down and watch, say, a religious documentary. Me and Sam would because we're geeks. But, <laughs> we are. You know, this most people, we are most people our general, age yeah. watch kind of comedy, magazine yeah. show, that sort of thing. So I remember doing some research into religious broadcasting and how it was viewed and actually I think perhaps the way is to package it up around a soap around a comedy that sort of thing you know things like the yeah. Vicar of Dibley whether you like it or not they get a lot of amazing religious content Rev even mm. you know a lot of great religious content really interesting discussions in the pub and that sort of thing and actually it's not billed as a religious programme yes they had a lot of you know advising vicars and bishops and things like that on their committee when they were writing it and there was Christians involved in the writing process so perhaps that's the way actually maybe we need to move away from from those sort of more specifically religious broadcasting. Yeah, and I actually, I love it when I see stuff in the normal drama and comedy world that just references Christian faith. Mm. Even, you know, even if it's not a very positive reference, just to bring it into this is the normal world, this is the real world where people live, some people are religious, no, it's really not that weird. And that's the kind of battle we've got currently in an increasingly secular society. Religion, for a lot of people, just seems really weird. Mm. So if you can bring it into a drama in a normal way, whether the reference to God is positive or negative, I almost don't care. I just think we mm. need more, I think religion is almost underrepresented in some of these dramas because the people making the programs aren't religious themselves and they forget that a lot of people are and you yeah. do need to represent that in your in your broader pro, uh, bro, uh, programming not just in something like as you say songs of praise or whatever. yeah and not just broader programming but in all media formats as well i'll, I'll tweet the picture out so if you want to go and find it you can go and look for if, hashtag signal follow at the media net on twitter I'll, I'll, I'll put this picture up i took a picture in in wh smith this afternoon just in victoria station down the road from where we're recording and just of the magazine stand and current affairs kind of section and lifestyle section there was one publication on a mm. rack of 300 that had any mention of kind of faith or religion on the front cover and it was the spectator yeah. and it tends to more often not be the spectator or yeah, yeah argument every now and again it's the time it's time or something like that and it's just like well where is the kind of the broad not necessarily Christian published, you know, Christian focused publication of which obviously you guys represent too of so we won't go there but that that kind of where is that story-led 
or you know just the odd article that's mm-hmm. kind of making the front page of these things without it being that you know kind of we're changing a pope you know like mm-hmm. what what does it have to be that qualifies to talk about those things mm-hmm. in a broader spectrum because you're right there is a percentage of the the UK population that are you know have some faith somewhere yeah. I wonder if there's a bigger question as well though and this is what I used to run the Christian fellowship at the BBC and it was just it was for Christians who worked at the BBC none of us at the time worked in religious broadcasting we used to talk a lot about how we just make the best media in whatever it is we do you know there were presenters there was radio people there was television people there was editors how do we make the best media that we can just happening to be Christians and I think there's something about actually Christians just making the best that they can and and, and where you can put in, in your Christian values so um, we're writing about something actually in our magazine there's a new CBeebies programme called Treasure Champs and it's about kind of ethical values so it looks at generosity and kindness and things like that kind of through the spectrum of different world religions and the, one of the exec producers on that is a Christian and you know he's just going out to make the best TV that he can make he's not going out to make religious broadcasting and I think sometimes actually it's not in the specifically religious broadcasting that we can get like a you know messages of grace and love and hope and things in yeah. there. It's, I think for me it's definitely about bringing religion into other areas. So for example, I would argue you can't understand world news unless you have some understanding of religion. You know, mm. and this is why people I think get so upset when they accuse the BBC of religious li- illiteracy. It's not just because we're people of faith. It's more because we feel like you can't actually understand the world unless you have those religious lenses on. Mm. So especially with things, world news, that things that are happening outside of the sort of Western, more secular bubble, there are things going on that really matter when it comes to religion, not just Christianity, but other religions as well. I was chatting to a guy who'd heard an interview with a local, um, I think it was BBC, but anyway, a local radio station, um, sort of said to a Christian, um, they were talking about Easter eggs, and he said, you Christians have got in on uh, Christmas, now you want to get on in on Easter, what's all that about? And the guy oh, who was being interviewed was like... Are you serious? You wow. don't you don't know that Easter is a Christian festival. And it's just that sense of I mean, there is training for journalists in kind of religious literacy and things like that, but I guess some people obviously don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've got thoughts on that or you are worried or you are a producer or Song to Brace <laughs> want to let us know what your intentions are with it, we'd love to hear from you. You can always do that by uh, getting in touch with the show. Just let us know by hitting us up on Twitter, at The Media Net, on Twitter with hashtag Signal. You can also find us on Facebook for your opinions and share them there. Sam, coming to you for your story for this month. Well, you mentioned uh, people getting in touch on Facebook and, of course, uh, very recently there was a video that all of us have seen, probably multiple times over, Too many that times. was all over everyone's Facebook feed, all over everyone's Twitter feed. And uh, I must give a shout-out to Marcus Jones, who's the head of news here at Premier, because he spotted it before anyone else that I saw. He spotted it very early in the morning the other day. It was, of course, um, this guy giving an interview on the BBC and being interrupted by his kids and his wife, I think, in, in the background. And this video just went crazy. And it's easy to see why, because I can be pretty cynical at times, but I was laughing my head off at this, and I think everyone was. It was very, very funny. But the reason I mention it is just because this video became so popular so quickly not just in the UK it was picked up internationally everyone was talking about it um, and I think that really says something about our culture where we kind of just want a light relief on Facebook mm-hmm. don't we just to share something a bit happier away mm-hmm. from some of the darker news and this went on to dominate the news coverage and I always find it interesting when you have BBC broadcasters sitting down and trying to say in a serious voice I'm now going to tell you about a story that's just really happened on social media it's not really a typical uh, news story in that sense but now what we share on social media makes the news 
news. Mm. And I once heard someone say uh, the six o'clock news is just becoming increasingly a commentary on what happened today on Twitter, which mm. is, is kind of true, actually. If you look at what a lot of journalists are doing, they say they quote people and it turns out that wasn't a quote because you phoned them up. It's just you're reading it off the social media feed. And lazy journalists like myself, we love a bit of that because <laughs> so, all I have to do is go on Twitter and now I can quote people without having to phone them up. So this is the, the story is the BBC interview with this political scientist. His name was uh, Professor Robert Kelly. Uh, he was broadcasting from his spare room when he's um, you know, kind of talking about the, the impact of the South Korean president um, after being kind of hijacked and he was kind of uh, had his two kids kind of running in the back and I found this you know when this began to hit my feed again and again and again so I saw a story earlier in the week about someone creating a Chrome plugin to delete videos you've already seen from wow. your from your yeah. Facebook feed which I think was one of them that I could have really done with this week because you know by the end of the day I couldn't yeah. move from my, yeah. my feed being mm-hmm. full of this thing but what I think has been really interesting with this is that there's been a number of like then stories about talking about this incident and, and what it kind of says about you know kind of all sorts of kind of blown out of proportion things people right? are reading a lot into one yeah. viral video aren't they so the examples you're going to yeah. think of, I mean, there was one in the New Statesman, wasn't there, about yeah. how this is sort of about patriarchy. And <laughs> and you just think, well, no, it's just a funny clip of a guy doing his job at home and being interrupted by his kids. And is there anything more to read into? I, I, I don't know if there is. I mean, there was one very interesting conversation about how a lot of people assumed this woman mm. was the nanny. Um, yes. because of her ethnicity, which I think is very sad. And, of course, people are saying, hello, mixed-race marriages do happen. It's 2017. And I would have thought, especially if you're in a mixed-race marriage, you'd find comments like that very offensive, mm. quite rightly. Because you think, well, no, this, this was a married couple and these were their kids. So I think that was a serious point. But other than that, I'm not sure if there is much serious analysis to be done. Do, do you disagree? No, I don't think that... I think this is one of those stories where, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, social media inception in a way, right? Mm. It's like someone being interviewed about something completely separate on mm. one story something goes wrong it goes madly viral and then we spend the next news cycle talking about how this mad thing went insanely viral and then the next day we're talking about the criticism yes. of the mad insane thing going yeah. insanely viral I mean yeah. it's just you know dream within a dream kind of level and I think that you can blow these types of things out of proportion I mean it, it, you know when we were talking about this with friends we were like I've never seen a video go you know no. kind of viral this fast and I was like it's happened before. You yeah. just have forgotten about it by right. now, and yeah, I think yeah. that there's, you know, probably this will be one of those ones that we talk about for a week, and then yeah. on on we march with with everything else that's kind of, you know, broadly far more important than than what happened with this. But other stories that are kind of coming up this month, which um, I think have caught my eye, certainly um, maybe lesser reported. Uh, this is a story um, from the Independent um, reporting that the Norwegian um, broadcaster uh, NRK on their website are going to be implementing a new um, system where if you want to make a comment on their online version you'll have to answer a quiz about the story that you're trying to comment on no. <laughs> um, before you'll be allowed to um, according to, to this they want to make sure that it's taking people to take about 15 seconds to answer the questions in order to calm them down enough <laughs> before they um, make a comment uh, of their choice. Um, it's been implemented on the NKR beta which is the broadcaster's kind of tech page um, before being rolled out more broadly. Um, and they are looking that if you spend 15 seconds on answering these questions, maybe it will take the edge off the rant mode when people are commenting. Um, that was from Marias Arneson, uh, who's the editor of that section. I mean, what do we what do we think about this, guys? Is it, would you like to have a, a kind of yeah. a, a quiz before you comment? Well, from, from a sort of writer's <laughs> journalist perspective, 
this sounds wonderful because, you know, something like 95% of journalists do read below the line and mm. we all tell each other not to in the media mm. you know don't go there we all know what it's so like and yet we all do because we actually we want the audience feedback and we we do want to see what people think of our writing okay we might prefer a more well-considered email but that may not be available <laughs> so instead we look at the comments and you know it can get pretty nasty under there and so the journalist in me is saying this would be great because this would calm people down and actually the number of times people post comments on your stories and they clearly have not read even most of it yeah. or they've dramatically just misunderstood yeah or... really just misunderstood a huge huge part of what you're actually writing about um and you know clearly there is a sense where you think okay maybe i need to hone my writing style here maybe i need to be more clear next time but honestly a lot of the time it is just the person choosing not to read it properly so i think yeah the, the that kind of vetting before you comment would be great but the other side of me that kind of values free speech that thinks it's a good thing that anyone can go and comment um on anything i wouldn't want people to be barred from doing that just because you know even if the reason was because they hadn't read it properly. I think, actually, you still have a right to say what you think of my shoddy journal. <laughs> Ruth, mm. would you take the extra extra step of answering a few quiz questions before you went and left your next kind of rant yeah, on the bottom I of mean, whatever page? I'm not, I, I don't really leave that many comments. I think probably because I don't appreciate <laughs> ranting. What about that them? pseudonym you've got, Ruth, where you uh, <laughs> you post on my comments, nasty th- uh, on my articles, nasty things? Think, you can admit it, come I on. Think, I don't know. I, I think Huffy I probably, from I think Hoxton, I probably, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think I probably would take the time to... If, you re- if you're really passionate about something and you really want to say something, I think 15 seconds out of your time to answer a question is neither here nor there. I think what it probably whittles out is those people who are just kind of want a bit of a rant. A lot of the stuff, well, particularly on your website, a lot of the stuff you get is incredibly unhelpful. And actually, I don't know, like, obviously, they're totally within their rights to comment, but I just find it really mean. And of course, <laughs> I, I mean, like we, we talked about this a couple of months ago, but, you know, kind of this idea of shutting off comment sections altogether. Do you think mm. this is better than that oh, like. for sure. yes i think so i think i think closing comments should probably be a last resort mm. but i'm not i'm not against it in principle it's interesting in new york times only 20 percent of their articles you can comment on because they don't have enough people to vet all of these comments and mm. we are still using humans uh, including here at premier i can say we have people who vet comments afterwards um and you know, there's only so many comments that the New York Times can can look at, can keep up with. And I think as time goes on, we'll start to see our friends in the sort of IT tech world develop solutions, they already are in fact, where these things can be filtered out automatically, kind of robotically, without a, without needing a human yeah, brain I mean, to uh, do so. Google announced uh, uh, last week that they've actually built an artificial intelligence tool that can read comments and identify whether or not they are toxic, quote-unquote, mm. which I think could... could be a, some source of the answer. The um, the journalist who kind of first reported this guy called Stale Groot, um, he said that if everyone can agree that this is what the article says, then we might have a much better basis for commenting on it. Mm, so true. maybe there is just that thing about the mixture between commenting and comprehension. Mm. Yeah, have we actually taken the time to read the thing in full? Do we actually know what this thing said? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's probably half the problem. Yeah, right? definitely. And I get frustrated actually on a on a lesser level when people share articles on Facebook they haven't read in full. So my mm. personal sort of feeling on this is I will never put anything on Twitter, anything on Facebook unless I've read the whole thing. Um, and I I don't know. For me, that's common sense. But for other people, clearly they disagree. Maybe you guys disagree with me. But I just think if you're putting something out there, you have to know what it says, and you have to you don't even have to agree with it all. I I quite enjoy posting stuff I don't agree with because people assume that I do, and then it results in some interesting comments. <laughs> I mean, you just, like I just to think, provoke, but yeah, but you should have <laughs> you should have as you say, it's about comprehension. I yeah. think you should have read or you should have watched what it is before you posted. I mean, otherwise you can get to some serious trouble. You could be posting stuff that's not good, and if you'd known it said that, you wouldn't have posted. I mean, like the whole internet has got this entire. I mean, I don't 
that you're probably familiar with the meme or the you know, kind of the acronym of TLDR, right? Yeah. Too long, didn't read. Yeah. Which you know, sad I, indictment on <coughs> our society. Which I, I, I'm going to be honest, I've been known to do. <laughs> you know, I, I don't need to necessarily read like for tech journalism. I don't need to necessarily read all of the bits and bites yeah. of this kind of review to be able to tell you that this is generally a good laptop or a bad laptop or sure, whatever it might be true. that I'm trying that's to read. Yeah. But when it comes to things that are like much more comment-driven mm. or editorialised, then yeah, you do need to have read that. Yeah. But that, like you say, maybe a, a bit of a sad indictment. On I do I do find the too long didn't read thing a bit, kind of a bit upsetting just because, you know, I work with words and I believe in the power of the written word and I want to see more people reading and see more people writing. And Write short stuff then, Sam. Yeah, I know, right. Yeah, it's true. The onus is on me to... to, to... Make it more interesting. Yeah, well, you know, there are there's a couple of bloggers I follow who, like, refuse to write anything less than 4,000 words. And I don't read their stuff because I think that's... You know, I can't yeah. be constantly dealing with that. Their Twitter lot... accounts are terrible. <laughs> Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas a lot of the stuff that I write, you know, I... I, I fully acknowledge that people skim read because I'm one of them yeah. and so increasingly journalists do have to think about when it's writing for web you've got to be writing stuff that can be skimmed which as I say to a certain extent upsets me other part of me thinks that's the world you live in you've got to adapt and write mm-hmm. stuff that people will engage with even if they're not engaging as heavily with it as you want to. Well that's the thing we, I think we do have to accept that journalism has changed just even in the last sort of five years you know it's changing a lot isn't it and we've, we do need and to not adapt. just journalism but people's attention spans mm-hmm. I suppose is, is the biggest thing you know, this is part of this reason yeah. Yeah. Is that you know people who are not, it's not that they necessarily just commenting and ranting because they've got an opinion that mm. they want to share, but they just haven't read everything, yeah. and, and we don't take the effort to you know read that four thousand you know word article, um, and, and maybe we just haven't got the energy for it. Well, and particularly with like the digital natives. So obviously, I do a lot of work with young people, and for a young person, they don't ever know that there was a time when you couldn't comment on stuff. Mm. You know, they've they've never grown up with sort of traditional broadcast media where it's just one person's opinion. They've they've constantly grown up in this social media where everyone's opinion is valid everyone's allowed to say stuff which on the one hand is a good thing but we've, mm. we've got to be careful with that because actually there are experts <laughs> well we've had enough of those I thought we've had. So <laughs> if you've got uh, thoughts on that or yeah, if you've, you might not have actually taken the time to listen this long into the podcast now to, <laughs> to leave an answer but if you have we're really glad you're here and we would love your opinions so let us know and um, you can do that in a very short format uh, using hashtag signal on Twitter uh, and send it to at the media net Okay, uh, pick up on this uh, more in coming episodes, but also coming up after the break, we'll be talking with Justin Walford, um, who is uh, the one of the senior uh, legal advisors 
at the uh, the Sun and uh, the Sun on uh, Line as a part of News UK around this whole idea of where legality and media kind of intersect and also what role uh, his own faith has played in some of the decisions he's had to make along the way. So that coming up after the break. Um, stay tuned. After the interview, we'll also be coming back with some recommendations for you on what to be listening to, watching and reading over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so stay tuned. And if you've got thoughts on any of the stories we've been discussing so far, hit us up on Twitter. You can email us as well to um, info at themedianet.org uh, and you can also find us on Facebook. But coming up after this, Justin Walford from News UK. So, Justin, you work for News UK in a rather interesting uh, role, working at this kind of intersection of media and law, and uh, obviously a Christian and have been uh, a practicing uh, Christian and media lawyer for many years now. Just tell us a little bit about kind of what your role involves day to day, and maybe some of how it's changed over the time of your career. Uh, well, I think some of the law has changed, but the actual basic role is fairly similar. Um, the day-to-day role is basically as an editorial lawyer. Uh, that means that we advise journalists and editors pre-publication, dealing with a whole host of stories, a whole host of legal problems arising out of those stories, um, dealing with pre-publication injunctions. Uh, then the actual process of the publication itself, we help there, advising on the law. That means you know, advising on headlines, upon the use of pictures, how copy is worded, whether it, the normal legaling process. And then finally, we deal with complaints and litigation, the other side of the publication. Uh, if there are complaints, if there's litigation, we deal with those complaints, we manage that litigation. So it covers the whole, the whole um, period of, and time um, of publication. The pace that which all of this has to work at has drastically increased, I would assume. What's that been like, as you've seen, particularly as we come into the kind of the digital era of the, some of the challenges that you perhaps have had to face as that's, um, you know, that time period has shrunk day to day? I think that's a good point. Um, certainly, there's always been a time pressure because you're always working basically for the next day's newspaper. Um, if you were, when I was at the bar, I did some broadcast uh, work as well. Uh, and again, it's it, there's always a very um, clear deadline, so you're always working to pressure um, uh, the pressure of time. Uh, obviously, with uh, in recent years with the online editions, there's there's an even greater pressure because stories you haven't even got maybe an afternoon to think about a story. A story goes online as soon as they can get it um, legal done online. So the the time limits have come down even further. That's interesting because I think a lot of people assume, particularly in the wake of what's happened in the past couple of years where the idea of the fact in general has kind of come under a lot of scrutiny, people assume that there maybe that due diligence has kind of gone out the window, but that doesn't seem to be your experience. No, I think that the the point is that the online editions get sued you know, just as much as the the, uh, the 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 print editions. You know, the same rules apply, the same IPSO code applies to it. So... In that sense, you've got you've got the same basic issues and problems have to be dealt with. Yes, there are there are time pressures, but the same issues have to be dealt with. I'm, I'm talking about online here rather than people blogging or whatever or social media. I'm simply talking about the online newspaper editions, and I would have thought that most of the newspapers are in the same boat uh, as we are on that. 
Has the, the kind of your role and the way in which your teams work had to change, though, in the light of that? That there are, you know, the journalist as an individual now has far more opportunity to have a presence outside of just the publication um, and just within the remit of that that institution than they ever did before with their own personal accounts and things like that. Is that something that you guys have to get involved with or have to apply additional scrutiny to? Um, we tend, if journalists do get involved outside, um, yes, they can get uh, advice from us. But um, uh, that, that, is, that is something that has grown. But again, uh, journalists have to be aware of that um, they are still journalists for whatever the title is, uh, and they still owe responsibility to that. The legalities of the media are under scrutiny, I suppose, at the moment, particularly when it comes to social media um, and particularly in you know, kind of laws around libel and factual reporting and, and slander and things like that. Do you think that we actually need to revisit some of those laws in the kind of new world of things being always on live, being a, a massive part of that? Um, and particularly in you know kind of the age where things are cached by Google and other search engines forever, do, do we actually need to revisit the law on those issues? Um, I, I think one of the, the, the things about media law is that it's, it's it is an evolving creature. I mean, in the period of time of you know, 35 years that I've been practicing media law, it's changed absolutely um, extraordinarily. Um, it, whole new areas of law have emerged, and whether it's privacy or data protection. Um, it, you know, whole new uh, uh, interpretations of, of, of existing law have taken place. So there, there is always a transforming process, and that process reflects what's happening um, in, in the real world and the law's effort to try and um, keep a hold of it, but also to hopefully to encourage free speech. And I think that's important to recognize that, that over the sort of last 30 or 40 years, um, if, if you had taken a law book, um, a media law book 30, 40 years ago, it would have been a comparatively slim tone. It, it would now be a, a massive a, a massive book with lots of different uh, chapters because of the, the, the growth in law. So the law has expanded, but at the same time, it's really important that we recognize that social media, there are uh, enormous bonuses that have come about from social media, the freedoms that have come about, the possibilities of communication that come about. That's, that's something that also needs to be protected. We need to value free speech. It's really important that that is valued as well. So there's a balancing exercise, and I think the law is always open to change to try and reflect that balance. Do you think there's a particularly a cultural difference in this balance between, as you mentioned, the kind of free speech and what people count as fact versus opinion here in the UK versus what we've seen in the US? There's been some stark differences and obviously their their law itself is different in terms of the way in which that those things are protected under uh, you know, kind of First Amendment rights and others. Do you think that we are going to continue to see that that tension be held up or is there a breaking point at which people kind of return to wanting facts wanting to say that this is truth and there's there's no deviation from it um i, I think people do want uh, to know this truth and the, the, the and that there's it's about trust and assurance and i think that one of the things that comes about from newspapers from broadcasters just generally from the what i call the established media is that they are um policed and uh, you know by independent bodies there's, there's a they're clearly accountable in front of the law and that does mean hopefully that some standards uh, readers or viewers 
or listeners can know that there are some some standards there that they can rely on uh, when they receive their information. I think that's something very valuable and I'm sure something that people want. Uh, as well as being a, a media lawyer and have been worked in these institutions for a long time, you've also been a Christian throughout that journey. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about how your faith has played a part in your work life. Has there been opportunities or times when your Christian faith has really challenged you on the way in which you have to deal with some of the situations you encounter in the workplace? I think the answer is yes to that, but I think there is also um, a point to make. I don't think that being a media lawyer is really that different from being any other lawyer as a Christian, I think, or indeed any other area of work as a Christian. You know, we we are Christians, we come with our faith into work, but the legal advice we give is legal advice. It's, it's, we're responsible for it, and we must, you know, we must give the best legal advice we can. I think the way that faith plays out in the workplace is very often um, how we um, meet with other people, our relationships with other people, our relationships with those people we work with, um, relations with perhaps with the people that we're against in, in litigation or whatever. Those, that's very often how it works out. Uh, I remember um, at the Lawyers Christian Fellowship hearing um, a high court judge, a Christian high court judge, speak about, um, very movingly, about how he um, dealt with judgments. Uh, on a day-to-day basis, he was a family lawyer. How does he deal with 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 some really difficult cases? How does his Christianity affect his work? And what he said was that he he doesn't believe that God that God is um, writing these judgments. He is responsible for the judgments that he makes. Uh, if if he gets overruled in the court of appeal, it's not God being overruled in the court of appeal. It's him. Uh, His responsibility is to try to do the very best he can, to try to act with integrity. And uh, if he does that, he believes that somehow God will work through this process in some mysterious way, that a difference will be made. But it's not a sort of conscious difference of where he's saying, what is the Christian answer to this problem? It's much more, what is the answer to this problem? And how can I approach this problem uh, from... um, a background and feeling that deep within me the Christian faith is true. We are talking a little bit about uh, this month around this whole idea that we might be becoming slightly addicted to current affairs in many of the publications that sit under the house that you guys work at, but more broadly as well. Is that something that you feel that we, as a, a Christian, that you that there's somehow something maybe unhealthy in that, that we are always looking for the next story and rather than waiting for the the true truth to come out which may take much longer than what can be done in a breaking news alert or in a kind of daily headline that needs to be kind of put up do you wrestle with that tension at all yourself yes i do uh, i mean i i um i i am i'm not so i'm addicted to it but i do love the news and uh, certainly i will, will watch um you know, the news at 10 and possibly news night and things i will watch programs uh, on the news and um, and listen to the radio to uh, stories about the news all the time. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, this, these are really interesting times we live in. There are extraordinary times we live in. And, and uh, to want to be up to date, to see what's going on, to have a view about it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But yes, there's a danger, I suppose, ultimately, that we can become, uh, um, you know, give too much time to it or whatever. But uh, again, there is a balance there that I hope that everyone would want to have 
some uh, understanding and some knowledge of what's going on to make to be informed to be able to have a view to be able to to think about the way our country is is moving or whatever these seem to be really important things to me thanks there to Justin Walford and if you've got thoughts or comments on everything that he has been talking to us about then you can let us know uh, you can do that by hitting us up on Twitter which is at the media net and you can also use the hashtag signal so that we can find it and we'll get back to you love your comments and thoughts on that now to our recommendations for the month ahead this is something new we're going to do uh, every month give you some thoughts on uh, things that you should be watching reading stuff that you can go back and listen to um be that media um or you know kind of uh, pop culture items that's the, always going to be me <laughs> the, the pop culture ephemerality that's around us you can always go and find that too um well in that case let's start with you ruth um <laughs> what have you been watching listening to uh this month so, I have been listening to the Stormzy album and the Ed Sheeran album. Aha, and the, the much heralded on both yeah, fronts. Yeah, I mean, the Ed Sheeran one, um, all 16 tracks in the top 20, nine of the top 10, wow. like it was properly That's dominating huge. the charts. It's huge. Of course, not something that could ever have been achieved probably before like the streaming music world no, came around. No, and that's really interesting. And also, I mean, Stormzy's was, it's not even, he's not even got a label. His is entirely independent, as was Chance the Rapper, who obviously won three Grammys. So, um, it's just it's just really interesting the yeah. way the music industry's changed and I think what's really I mean obviously Stormzy's been talked about quite a lot by Christians who would never ever listen to Grime um, <laughs> because of the track of course, Only never. By Your oh gosh what's it even Blinded called? By Your Blinded Grace Blinded By Your Grace thanks, I mean I am thanks, the, Sam, I'm the grime, grime expert, expert in the room <laughs> I am one. I am one of these Christians who could tell you nothing about grime, but I do know that Christian Shazam. I do. I do. I do know that Stormzy's album um, uh, "Gang Signs and Prayer" was the first grime album to ever hit number one. And the only reason I know that is because on this album there is two tracks, "Blinded by Your Grace" Part One and Part Two, which are basically gospel songs, and is amazing because every Christian on Twitter has been tweeting about how wonderful Stormzy is, and you think you're only doing this because he's got a couple of tracks that sound Christian. You wouldn't normally listen to grime, and neither would I. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope to not quote him out of context, but I think I saw it in someone in the comments section saying, oh, of course you weren't listening to the rest of it or with the explicit marker. Mm. And I was like, well, surely you were, and surely mm. that's fine, because mm. actually, at some point or other, you, you, know, you have to consume things that, you, uh, mm. you know, I mean, you can get on the, the bus in the morning and, and hear words that you're not mm. going to want to yeah. hear. You know, so are you going to ignore everything else in culture yeah. for that but same actually, reason? But that's, well, that's why it's so interesting, I think, because there is quite a lot of sex, drugs, rock and roll and the rest of the album, but right in the middle of it is a song called Blinded by Your Grace, mm. and actually just a total understanding of what is at the heart of the gospel. Yeah. And, and not just that as well, but I, I'm having listened to it myself as well. A couple of the tracks on there, there are massively explicit Christian references. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think he quotes a couple of verses from Matthew and, and Mark and one of the other tracks that has no other yeah. Christian indicators. So if you were to just go, oh, well, I won't listen to the rest of it. I'll just dig into that. But actually, there's some amazing yeah. kind of declarations of faith and other yeah. themes in some of those. But interestingly, there's, there was quite a lot actually peppered in Ed Sheeran's album. So one of my favourite songs on that album is called Supermarket Flowers. It's about his grandma dying. And the chorus is all about hallelujah. Cheery. Let's keep it yeah, happy, yeah. It's <laughs> no, but it's a really beautiful song. And it says hallelujah, like she's come home. And I just thought, you know, that's really interesting because he didn't need to talk about God in that context. You know, yeah. if, if you don't have a faith and you don't really believe in an afterlife, you could just talk about it being a really sad thing. But there seemed to be a really positive thing about homecoming. 
Yeah, no, absolutely loving both of those. So um, check those out. And uh, Sam, you've got a, a slightly more something, <laughs> something <laughs> quite different. Sam's going to raise the, the tone from the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, uh, documentary. well, this I'm going to promise you this is going to be a lot more interesting to watch, and I'm going to make it sound. But uh, <laughs> it's a BBC documentary on BBC Two called Meet the Lords, and they've allowed cameras into the House of Lords for the first time. And the BBC have done an amazing job of making this documentary because it is genuinely interesting. And you think, you know, how many of us, myself included know how the lords operates and who many of the lords are and what they do and um, even some of the debates about whether they should exist or not all this stuff is covered in this documentary you can catch it on iPlayer I think is I think we're part three at the moment I'm not sure how much longer it's going to go on for but I'm enjoying every minute of it and it does follow on from the BBC documentary I think last year called Inside the Commons which again really well made documentary about how that half of parliament works and I just think this is something all of us um, have a stake in how democracy works in this country mm-hmm. and the BBC had managed to produce a programme that not only explain that and is very informative but it's actually really engaging and interesting as well so top marks to the BBC Yeah I mean the House of Lords itself is having a bit of a moment <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, I mean, obviously, given what's just happened with, um, you know, kind of the, the amendments that are going through at the moment to the um, Article 50 exit bill that's you know, kind of been going through both yeah. houses, that there does some, somehow be a renewed focus on that. Yeah. And also for many, for one, the half of the population that didn't want Brexit, yeah. Yeah. they're suddenly heralding the Lords yeah. as being these saviours. Five minutes ago, they were saying they should be abolished. Yes. Well, this, this is another fascinating thing about the documentary. It managed to cover both of those issues. Even though it was filmed last year, a lot of those debates were happening last year. So it actually feels really relevant. And the other thing that got covered in the most recent episode in quite some depth was, do you remember Boaty McBoatface <laughs> and uh, how the public voted on the name for this new boat and they, they chose that? And uh, well, that obviously happened last year, so they filmed that and quite a lot of coverage is devoted to that. But it's a quite a nice time because Boaty McBoatface had its maiden voyage, didn't it? I think just the other day or yes, some yeah, news about week, it. Yeah. So actually that ties in very well. So they've managed to make it really timely, even though it was all filmed last year. Excellent. Well, um, if you are interested in the kind of the world of politics, then I also have a record recommendation for you as well and this is kind of a mixture of a, a kind of a go and find out about these people with also go and consume this one program um it's called pod save america which is a new show that's been put together by the founders of a, a new media organization called crooked media which has just been set up by basically um, half of obama's and the, uh, the obama white house's ex-staff team essentially so it's john favreau who was obama's head speechwriter from um 05 to 13 um and he's also done uh, various other things and written for publications like Daily Beast and The Ringer, um, and John Lovett as well, who is um, was a speechwriter for Hillary Clinton and um, and a speechwriter for the Obama White House overall, um, a number of other guys from that organisation that's been kind of in there. And I think what's really interesting about this is obviously in the kind of the wake of things like Breitbart and you know a number of these other publications this is kind of that kind of more uh, centre left leaning uh, response to that if you like essentially a bunch of politicos who have left that organisation not necessarily um, journalists by trade and essentially set up their own kind of rival media agency I, I mean I've just seen them being interviewed by Kara Swisher from Recode this week at South by Southwest you know they're, they're all over the place right now in this podcast um, Pod Save America I would really recommend um, if if you want a different view on what's going on in the kind of American politics right now, um, they're putting out multiple issues. Both uh, every, every, their, their frequency is far higher than ours. Sorry, uh, yeah, a couple of um, editions at least every single week, and also have done a number of kind of live shows across the US as well. I think just really interesting to see a number of these kind of um, White House or ex White House politicians or people who've been in that circuit mm. kind of coming out and just 
saying we're going to you know kind of rebel against this um kind of change up that's happened particularly in the white house press corps and, and bring a different response and another way of kind of showing things off so um that would also be my recommendation um and i'm going to throw it back to sam for one final one, one uh, for this month yeah one other podcast well worth checking out is called media masters and it is by a guy who works in pr called paul blanchard and all he does is he interviews leading uh, figures in the media and he's done some incredible interviews with Sir Trevor MacDonald, even Katie Hopkins, uh, Perez Hilton, Mark Thompson, uh, Isabel Oakeshott and Daniel Finkelstein. Some really incredible figures who are at the top of the media game. And he sits down with them and he asks them about their career, about their life. And I've just gleaned so many insights from these sort of journalists who have gone long before me in most cases and had incredible experience. Well worth listening to to glean their insights. And actually, Paul is a fantastic interviewer. He works in PR. So, you know, I'm quite uh, upset, I have to admit this. But he's, he makes... <laughs> a really good journalist makes a really good interview always gets the best out of people and even someone like katie hopkins you actually come away feeling like not necessarily you've warmed to them that would be putting it too strongly but you've at least understood them okay good there are other sides to people i suppose to be seen um no matter how hard they are to necessarily find so um those are our recommendations for this month if you've got your own recommendations we would also love to hear them and also get involved in the conversation um as we continue to do this show every single month we want to hear more from you guys who are listening and consuming it if you are a christian working in the media um out there in the kind of the secular press broadcasting or the arts then let us know and you can find out more about the media net by getting in touch either with us on facebook or on twitter you can find us at the media net in both of those places um but that's it for this edition of signal thanks so much for joining us thanks to you sam thank you and to you ruth thank you and we will see you again next month on signal a podcast from the media net Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.